You can be seated. Rick is um, going to teach from Luke 2, 1 through 21 this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Well, happy Mother's Day and Merry Christmas. (laughs) Uh, I think I've told that joke several times already in this series. Thank you for laughing each time. Um, This morning, I'm really excited about what God has to say to us. Um, uh, And I think it's really cool that on Mother's Day, uh, it just happens that we're preaching about the birth of Jesus. And and I think God has something really, uh, really important to, to share with us today. It's been really important in my heart, um, giving me courage and enthusiasm for what God has in store for us as a church. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll talk about some vision stuff, and then we'll talk about the verses that Kelly just read. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for moms. Thank you for, uh, for this opportunity for us to gather as a group of believers um, together in this community to to understand what it is that you are trying to say to us, Father. I pray now that you would guide our thoughts and guide our words uh, and, and just guide our spirits as we seek to understand who you are and, and what you're trying to say to us through the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, um, who is Lord, who is Messiah, who is Savior, who is all of those things. Father, connect our hearts with what that means today in this time and this place. Uh, thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Uh, so if you were here as a part of the family meeting last week, we talked about um, uh, kind of a vision for the summer. And before we get, I, th- I think it ties into the message this morning. So, but before we get there, I wanted to, to kind of share a little bit about what that vision is going to look like for us. Um, and it's three things, pray, disciple, and serve. 
You're going to hear me and hear some of the deacons and hear other leaders within this church saying those things consistently throughout the course of the summer. Pray, disciple, and serve. Um, and there's several different ways that we can do each one of those things. In particular, there's several different ways we can engage prayer. Um, first of all, these prayer cards are here in a bit. We've been had these now for about a month or so. Um, and you can, there's some in the back and there's some on the, on the, the response time tables. You can write something down on here. And one of the things that I want to encourage you, not just to pray for your sick aunt or something, some other prayer need that you have, but also use this card as a prayer that maybe you have for North Church or for the people of North Church. And what I would encourage you to do maybe is to take a blank one of these, put it in your Bible, and then maybe someday throughout this week when you have time to sit and be alone with God, think about a prayer or a psalm or something that God is leading you to pray for, for this body. And then bring it with you the next Sunday and put it in the offering plate because we would love to know how God is leading you to pray for this place. Um, and I think as a, as a church that's kind of rooted in this community, um, I think it's, it's important for us to, to kind of give and take with that. So um, use those for that reason. There's also, um, I've said this already before, but it's said, and I said it in the, the family meeting, but there's also our, our four deacons, myself and, and Ben, our elder candidate, uh, are praying for every single person who's come to North Church in the last six months. So the likelihood is um, you've gotten a text or an email or a phone call or something from one of those people. And if you haven't, know that, that you're going to soon, but also know that someone has been praying for you for the last two weeks. Um, and we want to center our hearts and our minds around this idea to pray. Um, and and the, the last piece is, uh, to pray. This is kind of an encouragement for you to, to know how and what to pray. The, uh, the Psalms have been a, an incredible guide to me and my personal prayer life. Um, sometimes, have you ever been in a prayer or trying to pray and you just really don't know what to pray? Ever been there? Like, I'm a pastor and I should know what it is that I'm supposed to pray. And there's times where I like, okay, I've set these 10 minutes aside to pray and I'm just like, And nothing happens. The Psalms give us a voice and give us language, and they are there's a, a huge spectrum, a large array of the qualities and attributes of God and how we relate to those qualities and attributes. And so what I've what I've done, what I've found to be really helpful, um, is to systematically read through the Psalms. So Psalm 1 through Psalm 150 and systematically read through a different psalm every day. And before I read through that psalm, I ask God to give me a phrase or a verse in that psalm that he wants me to pray to him. And so I find a, a verse or, or even simply a, a phrase and I, I reword it, I rethink it, I rewrite it, I journal, whatever, to pray that thing back to God. And sometimes it's, it's a really profound phrase for my heart and I'll, I'll put a, an alarm in my phone to go off it. 10 o'clock and 3 o'clock that day to remind me of the thing that God wants me to, to reverberate in my brain to pray. So I encourage you to do that, to systematically read through the Psalms and ask God to show you something. Um, and if you feel so inclined, uh, put it on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and, and use a hashtag pray the Psalms. And so I've been doing that for probably like three years now. 
um, and, and back in the habit. So you can probably find some hashtags that are there and, and just begin to connect as a, as a church, as a group of people to, to praying together. Um, the second piece is to disciple. Um, for our vision for the summer is to pray and also disciple. And this is really important for us. And I think this is a, a church that we've done well in cycles in this and done poorly in cycles in this. But God has called us to go and make disciples. That's a, that's a very important attribute that Scripture calls us to do. And, and in a bit, we'll start talking about Christ the Lord in our text. And discipleship is the key element to that. And so there are gender ministries in the church. There's men's ministry and there's women's ministry, but there's also youth ministry. And those are all hotbeds, breeding grounds for relationships to begin to develop that would grow into a discipleship relationship. So be intentional. Ask someone if you can enter into the discipleship relationship with them. And it doesn't have to be somebody here discipling somebody here. This person can ask this person, or there can be people like on the same level saying, let's just walk through discipleship together and see what that looks like. And, and it doesn't, he, I heard a, a quote, Robert Coleman wrote an incredible book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, which should be titled Master Plan of Discipleship, if Robert Coleman asked me, but he didn't. Um, he said this in, the, in his book, one living sermon is worth 100 explanations. One living sermon is worth 100 explanations. So what, and what I want to lead us towards is discipleship doesn't always look like, hey, turn with me in your Bible too, and then think about something. It's, it's more having to do, and this is Jesus's model of discipleship. Hey, I invite you into my life. Let's go and live life together. And so connect with someone and begin to disciple. And, and the other piece is that we have, we have a, a, a youth ministry that's growing. And we, I would, I want to encourage, I would love it. This is what I'm praying is that every single kid that comes to our youth group from the littlest to the, to the oldest has someone that is directly discipling them. Um, so the gauntlet is thrown engage with these kids, disciple them. And it does, you don't have to be qualified. If you, if you can breathe, you're qualified. And everybody here, I'm quite confident, has the ability to breathe. So I, I'd like, this is, I want to I really lead us to do this, to engage us. And, and the best part about discipleship is when you are discipling someone, you are being discipled. It's an incredible value. Last thing is uh, serve. We want to pray. We want to disciple. We want to serve this summer. This is, if you, everybody turn around and look at the back table back there. There's a, a Kinko's box. Kelly, point it out. There he is. Thank you, Vanna. Um, in that box are a bunch of these flyers. And what we would like for you to do is take two or 12 or 20 and pass them out in your neighborhood. What it says is there's a, a ministry called the Sharing Shed that we've connected with, and this is a, a spring cleaning event. And what's going to happen is we put these on doors, and this explains, this flyer explains everything that's there. What's going to happen is we want stuff to give to the Sharing Shed. The Sharing Shed is a ministry that, that uh, helps uh, single moms, battered women, uh, abused women who are trying to get on their feet and have a house that's empty. And so it provides for them beds, it provides for them kitchen tables, and stuff that are necessary for and couches, lamps, tables, 
plates, forks, all that stuff. And so the sharing shed does that stuff. And we want to help equip the sharing shed with the stuff that they give away to these women. At the same time, we're going to help our community do spring cleaning. There's a lot of stuff that I just want to, I got an old sofa in my basement. I'd really like to get rid of it. We're going to come and take it and and give it to the sharing shed. And so our deal is twofold. One is we want to pass a bunch of these things out and then we're going to give them a an email to say, hey, I've got some stuff, and on June the 9th, we're all going to gather together with a box truck or a couple of box trucks and a couple of trailers and go and pick this stuff up from people and then take it out to the sharing shed. So two things we need. One, we need you to help us pass these things out, these flyers, and two, we're going to need you on June the 9th to collect and distribute and, and take the stuff back to them. And so we'll also have uh, a, a, a big dumpster where, because some of the stuff we get won't be good enough to give to the sharing shed, so we'll just throw it away. So we're going to serve people by taking stuff away that they'll need to throw away, but also stuff that we're going to give to the sharing shed. Make sense? Um, so this is our vision for the summer, to pray, to disciple, and to serve. And this opportunity is the real specific way where we can serve. If you have questions, you can find me, you can find Rebecca, you can find Josh afterwards, and we've got some more information. But all the stuff that I just said shows up in this flyer. Um, and I'm sure you've got other, other questions, and we can answer those as we go along. Um, so if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 2. And I think, I, I wanted to say that because I think it's important for us to kind of cast vision about where we're going for the summer. But also, it really, really connects with, uh, with what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, and I hope you can see that. So Luke chapter 2. Uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius, governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage of the house of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. I want you to see a couple of things here as we begin. There is n- all of the people that God has used to get to this point in, the his, in history are completely unimpressive people. We've got, from Luke 1, you might remember the players, is Zechariah. Zechariah was an old man who was a priest who was probably really bitter because God hadn't used him much in his life. And he didn't have any kids. He was really old. And then God sent an angel to visit with him and promise him John the Baptist, who was going to be a person that would, that would proclaim the truth of God before, before Christ came. So the people that God has used are really unimpressive. Zechariah, an old, bitter man who doubted God. Secondly, he used a teenage, unmarried, pregnant girl. Um, she's a teenage mom, and she's not married, and she's living in uh, a, a time that would have looked seriously down on her. The third is Joseph. Joseph is a young and confused man who doesn't know what to do because he's entered... When, when we say betrothed, when Scripture says he's betrothed, that's a legal arrangement that can only be broken by divorce. And he's betrothed to this woman who's now pregnant, and he's confused about what happened, and he has not yet been visited from, from God yet, and he doesn't know what's happening in his world, but he knows that, that somehow God is calling him to connect with this girl. And so the other piece of that is... Um, so there are Joseph is in the line of David and Solomon. 
He can trace his heritage back to David and Solomon. And this is, this is something that I don't think we always see when we, when we look at, at the birth of Christ and Joseph. And that the most powerful, richest, wisest man who ever existed was Solomon. He was rich. He was intelligent. He, was, like, he had everything that he could ever want. And, a, and several generations later comes along Joseph. So something has happened in the lineage from to have the most wealth to now living in a little town called Bethlehem and Nazareth, unimportant guy in an unimportant area. Something has happened. So this is who Joseph is. He's not an impressive guy at all. And then we've got a, an area of the, of the globe called Nazareth, which is completely unimportant, nothing special about Nazareth, and even more so Bethlehem. There's nothing special or important about Bethlehem. And these are the things, these are the places, these are the people that God has chosen to do. We have an old bitter priest, we have an unmarried teenage girl, we have a young and confused man whose family has squandered wealth, and we have a nothing area and a nothing town. And then God chooses to proclaim this message to societal cast-offs, the, the shepherds. Shepherds in this age were people that were not trusted. They were not allowed to, to speak in a, in a court of law because they were not trustworthy people. They were thieves for the most part. They were, they were butchers. They were strong. Like if, if a, a, a shepherd showed up here, we would be a little bit nervous around him. And this is who God chooses. And the beautiful part, and I want us to begin to now connect with with the beauty of that. Unspecial people tasked with announcing and bringing forth the greatest thing ever. Um, there's nothing impressive about those people other than the fact there was nothing impressive about them. They had no standing, no audience. Um, I want to think for just a second about our identity, about your identity. I think that we find ourselves in a perfect place. And by we, I'm talking about North Church. I think North Church finds itself in a perfect place. When we consider all of the unimpressiveness that brought Christ to this earth, I can relate, and there's a lot of frustration in my heart, that we are not impressive we're living, we are unimpressive people living in an unimpressive area, serving a really impressive God. Um, I can find myself in the story really easily. But the, the rub is, and the struggle for my heart, and I think the struggle probably for your hearts, is like we want to be important. We want to be impressive. I want you to be impressed with me. Can I confess that to you? I really want you to be impressed with me. Because when you're impressed with me, you're going to want to engage in this stuff that we do as a church. But then there's this, this tension in me. I don't want you to be impressed with me. I want you to be impressed with Christ. And so I, I repent of those things. But I think, and, and this is where we're going to tie in the, the pray, disciple, serve piece, that the best way to connect our hearts 
and our spirits and who we are with who God is and what he's calling us to do as a group of people that gather together on a place on Sunday mornings and then spend our lives together outside of this place via text and, 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 and get-togethers and, and fellowships and, and serving together and praying together. All that stuff comes together to make us North Church. And I think that praying, discipling, and serving will connect our hearts to what God is doing in and through this place. And that's the vision that we have for the summertime. Um, what would you say if, if you knew that you were right in the middle of a great opportunity to see God do something incredible? Can you see yourself in this passage? Can you see yourself in Mary or Joseph or a shepherd or a random person that lived in Bethlehem? Um, the value of Mary was not in Mary, but in Christ, what was in her womb. The value of Joseph is not in Joseph, but in who he got to be the earthly father of. The value in the shepherds was not in the shepherds. It was in the one that they got to go and proclaim and see and worship. The value in Bethlehem is not in, in its, its work, its, its standing as a city. The value in Bethlehem is the fact that Christ was born there. Um, the value of your identity, the value of our identity, is not in us, but it's in Christ. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of Luke 2. Jesus is the hero of North Church. Jesus is the hero of your life. The more time you spend trying to be impressive, the more you are repressing the hero that's in your story. Um, I want you, this is... Whenever a pastor would do this, a preacher would do this, and I was sitting in your seat, it would make me uncomfortable and I would think it was stupid. But, um, so I, I, I risk right now of you being uncomfortable and thinking I'm stupid. But I want you to say something with me. I want you to say, Jesus is my hero. And that's like bumper sticker material and kind of cheese ball. But I want, I, like, I want you to, to think about the ramifications of all of that. Think about the darkest thing that's happening in your world, in your life right now. Think about it. Now say your phrase again. I want you to think about the hardest thing that you're going to have to face in the next year. Say our phrase again. Now here's the awkward, more awkward part. I want you to look around at someone and tell them that Jesus is their hero. Go. Did everybody do it? And this, there is, um, 
We are unimpressive people living in an unimpressive area. Jesus is our hero. We're unim- you are an unimpressive person living in an unimpressive area. And I think what God wants to scream to every one of us is that's exactly where I want you to be. Because we begin to look to him as the hero. And this is like, this is really slippery because when God uses unimpressive people to do things for him and instead point the glory to him and not to self, a natural reaction of the mind can go to God as narcissistic. Right? Do, do you sense that? If, if he wants to use unimpressive people so that we'll see how impressive he is, that's a narcissistic thing. Um... But God wants your attention to be on him, not because he's a glory hound, but because in him alone is the ability, ability to never fail you. In him is perfect hope, is perfect peace, and perfect glory, and wonder, and purpose. In him is perfect in all of those things that can never and will never fail. When you look to people as your perfect hope, as your perfect peace, as your perfect glory, as your perfect purpose, and wonder, you look to some human as that, they will fail you. And then you're left broken. But God never fails. Jesus is the hero. Listen, God has done a lot to get you to this place. Think about all of the things that have happened in your specific life that have caused you to be sitting in the very chair that you're sitting in right now. Think about all of those things. There's a a mass amount of things, and I, I know a lot of your stories. God has done so much to get you to this place, but God has also done so much to get us to this place. Consider the gravity of that. Why are you here? Why did you come here? Generally and today, why did you come here? Why are you sticking around? Why are you still here? Why are you drawn here? The heart of this message, the heart of of Luke chapter 2, is God has an incredible plan. He is bringing his purpose in you and in us for his glory and his kingdom. Luke 2.10 The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That good news of great joy, we can shrink that in to a word, a Greek word, euangelion, which is where we get our word for evangelism when it's probably better translated in our context, not as evangelism, but as the gospel. It's, it's spoken directly there, the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel, and it will be for all the people. And then, verse 11, is the gospel. I'm going to look at three words. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord are super important words for unimpressive people to shine a light on an impressive Jesus. First of all, he is Savior. Savior is a verb, the root of which means to rescue from danger. Jesus 
our hero rescues from danger, which presupposes a danger that we find ourselves in. Simple word. The second one is Christ. That word is translated most frequently as Messiah. For 400 years, prophets have been silent. For for thousands of years previous to that, prophets have been pointing towards Jesus. And now here he is, the Messiah, born as a baby. Our world is looking for a Savior. Um, We, this church, this building, is in the Ferguson Florissant School District. Um, I don't know if you know this. If you have kids in the Ferguson Florissant School District, you probably do. I've got kids in Ferguson Florissant School District, so I'm aware of this. There There are three high schools in our district. McClure, McClure North, and McClure South Berkeley. Three high schools. And next year, there'll be three high schools, two high schools, or one high school. They don't know yet. They're having community meetings for parents in the district to think through, talk through what this looks like. But ultimately, the, the superintendent, who's a very godly man, and I'm, he's an incredible guy, um, has casted a lot of vision and talked to a lot of other districts and come up with three different possible solutions to the, to the issue of, of making three high schools, either one, two, or three high schools, and what's best for our community in our specific time and place, all right? And then he's presenting these to the community, and now the school board, it's their job to choose one of these three based on recommendations and then based on feedback from the community. So two weeks ago on a Monday night, I was at McClure South Berkeley High School listening to him present these three different possibilities, and it was awful. There was angst, there was frustration, there, were, there was a protocol to follow to, to voice your frustration, and, and people weren't following, and there were just random people standing up yelling, and other people running up, standing up yelling at the people that were yelling, and and I sat there, and I prayed, and I'm thinking to myself, what is happening here? Because there's just no real good solution. And we have good people trying to do good work that are being distrusted because people are, are not trustworthy people. And people, because people are not trustworthy, people have been burned in the past. And so that all this frustration boils up and boils over. And now we have a community that's trying to close high schools and trying to close my high school where I went to school and my identity is wrapped up in that high school. And so it brings this angst and frustration all over the place. And the the thing that I sat there listening and thinking about is there's just, there's no solution here. And as you look around your world, there's just no solution here. There's no solution for the history of the racism that's present in our culture and in our church and in our our country. There's no solution for the president of the United States. We're, We're human beings who fail. And it's so, when I was sitting there in that meeting, listening to all these people with all this angst, yelling and being frustrated at each other and at self and at the the situation, I just, like, there's just a big shining light on the fact that we can't do this. We need a Messiah. But the beautiful part is we have one. That's really good news. Our world is waiting for a Savior. Our world is waiting for a Savior. Our vision for the summer, for this church, is to pray, to disciple, and to serve. 
all of which is designed to point very specific people. When we put the flyer on a door and we come back in a, in a month to, to engage those people and serve them in some capacity, the hope is that we're pointing a light to the Messiah and taking their mind off of the current present situation, the, just the frustration of where we find ourselves. But the point is we're going to serve them in such a way that we're trying to bring the kingdom to their little world, to their, to their little context. And the only way for us to do that, pray, disciple, serve. That's the purpose of all of this. That's the purpose of our existence. And again, we find ourselves in a perfect place, unimpressive people in an unimpressive church with a really impressive Messiah. There are no human messiahs. There is only Jesus. Jesus is our hero. The last word that it brings here in this verse is he is Lord. When I think of Lord, I I think of someone who tells someone what to do. And we kind of rebel against that. Um, the, The word here means to whom a person or thing belongs. When we call Jesus Lord, we're saying, I belong to you. And you can tell me what to do. And our rebellious spirit doesn't want someone in our lives to tell them what to do. And so we can rebel against that. But think about this. Um, I, I was thinking about this this week. Mia, my daughter, just turned 13. And we have this special relationship. We, we say things, why did God give you to me to make my heart happy? Why did God give me to you? And she responds with, uh, to protect me. And she knows without a shadow of doubt that the main purpose that I have as her dad is to protect her. She knows that she belongs to me and she knows that the virtue of me, of her belonging to me is that my entire existence as it applies to her is to protect her. Think about lordship in that way. Jesus is not trying to heavy hand you with his lordship. He's here to protect you. It's incredible. Think about, I would, I celebrate her. Her birthday was this week and I, we celebrated her because she belongs to me. I give to her. I love her. I fight for her. I even rebuke her. I punish her. I tell her she's right. I tell her she's wrong. I love her. I would die for her. This is your Jesus. He is Savior. He is Messiah. He is Lord. And he is calling you. He's calling you to go and do these things Real quick, the last four verses. And when they saw it, they made it known saying, I'm reading verse 17. They made it known saying that they had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And this is the response of Mary and this is the response of the shepherds in verse 19 and 20. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. As you call Jesus, as you recognize Jesus, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, and you pray, disciple, serve, go and do what he's called you to do, God brings treasure to you. Verse 20, 
the response of the shepherds. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. God has a plan for you, just as he had the shepherds, just as he has for Mary. And what buoyed Mary and what buoyed these shepherds is this realization that God is everything that he says he is. He is your hero. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Jesus. God, I thank you that he is Messiah, he is Savior, he is Lord. Lord, I I pray that you would connect our minds to the fact that he is Lord. Now draw us now into your presence as we respond to the beauty of your word. God, as we sing or as we listen to Kelly sing, O Holy Night, Lord, I pray that you would connect our, our beings with the beauty that's being spoken and being sung over us. That you are so good and so incredible and that you're going to use unimpressive people to do something incredibly impressive, pointing a generation, a culture, a community to your son and his the fact that he is Lord, he is Messiah, he is Savior. God, it's so obvious that we have a need for you. God, would you come and be our hero? God, would you give us what's needed to go and be that in this community as individuals and as a collective? God, I thank you for all of the stories that brought people to this time and this place to hear your message and, and to go and serve. God, I thank you for everything that you've done from the incredible to the, to the tragic. You've done so much to bring us to this place. Now, God, connect us with your mission and allow us this and, and send us out on that mission, proclaiming that you are hero. For a savior has been born. Thank you for Jesus, the perfect Savior, in his name, amen.